Welcome to Whatcom New Life Assembly's Sermon of the Week, where, as always, it's all good news. For more info on how to get involved in our church or to partner with our ministry, please visit us at whatcomnewlifeassembly.org. Father, as we turn to your word today, we open our hearts and our minds. Father, forgive us for being stubborn and not willing to change when you speak to us. And so, Lord, we submit to your word and we say, Father, change anything in us that needs to be changed. We submit our opinions, we submit our passions to the cross and to Jesus Christ and to your word. By that name we say, Amen. Amen. Well, I'm going to hit the ground running here pretty quickly. Um, I don't know if I mentioned it yet or not, but I just got back from Israel. Did, did I say that yet? Yeah? Okay. This, again, is not a trip report, but I cannot help but letting the trip seep in into what God is, is, uh, is speaking to us today. Um, I need to set up something here real quick. I have been pastor here for over five years now, and when I first became the pastor of Whatcom New Life Assembly, he gave me a very specific verse, very specific marching orders, um, and this has been on my, in my office wall ever since I have been here as the pastor, and it's the book of Joshua. And I felt the Lord gave me that specific call. It says to Joshua, get going. Cross the Jordan River, you and all the people. Cross to the country I'm giving to the people of Israel. I'm giving you every square inch of the land you set your foot on, just as I promised Moses. Skipping down a little bit. I won't give up on you. I won't leave you. Strength. Courage, you're going to lead this people to inherit the land that I promised to give their ancestors. Give it everything you have, heart and soul. Goes on, do not be timid, do not get discouraged. God, your God is with you every step you take. Amen? Amen. So, needless to say, for the last five years, Joshua has had a very interesting and special place in my heart. I also need to set one more thing up. Um, This is my 40th year on planet Earth. And as as a result, I have a bunch of goals. I call it my 40th year goals. And one, I want to read through the Bible again, straight through in one year. I read the Bible all the time, but I wanted to read straight through. So I'm doing the year-long Bible, which I started July 12th instead of January 1st, which is okay. So I'm somewhere in April or something like that. I'm just pointing this out to say, before I went to Israel... I did not sit down and plot out where I was going to be reading in the Scripture so that it lined up perfectly with the places we were going to be. Okay, I'm just reading straight through, right where where that, that book tells me to. So imagine my awe when each day, I would get up at 5.30 in the morning because I wanted to get to breakfast by 6.30 and spend some time with the Lord first. And I would read, and then I'd find myself in these exact places that I was. It was eerie in a, in a sense. And I'm in the book of Joshua! Did not plan this. So here I am. This, this, is, this is right towards the beginning. I'm reading in Joshua where they finally get to cross the Jordan River. And I'm having a great time with the Lord that very day. I find myself in the Jordan River. 
We, got, we did some baptisms. And it was somewhere around this area where Joshua led the entire Israelites across, across the Jordan. And I'm like, oh, that, that is such a great coincidence. How many know that God doesn't deal in coincidence? <laughs> that, that's our verbiage. But God, or, He has a great orchestration that He's doing in your life and in the life of, of us on planet Earth here. Then I'm reading. What does Joshua do? They go and they march around the city of Jericho and the walls come tumbling down. That day, I'm standing in Jericho. Go ahead and throw my next picture. I'm looking out. See that mountain there? That's not really a mountain. It's called a tell, which is where civilization builds on top of each other. That's Jericho. And I'm standing there and I'm like, this is interesting, God. What are you trying to say here? The next day. Or it may have been two days later. I, it, was, it was a trip, all right? I'm reading about this place called Hazor. How many people have heard of Hazor before? You get bonus points. The rest of you, you're not alone. I mean, I'd read about Hazor many times, but I didn't remember it. It's not a place you really remember. But the king of Hazor, after he heard about Jericho and Ai and these other places, he freaked out. And he's, he, he summons seven other armies, and, and they go marching against Joshua. And, 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 uh, and Joshua, God says to him, hey, don't worry. These guys greatly outnumber you. They've got fortified cities. I've got your back. And they rout the entire, all these, these seven kings and their nations. So imagine my surprise when, listen, this isn't even on the itinerary. When the guide says, hey, Andy, how would you feel about going to Hazor? Instead of Megiddo on this trip. And I'm like, are you conspiring against me somehow? That very day that I read about the king of Hazor, I find myself sitting in his ancient ruins of his palace gazing out. And in that mo this, this moment, I'm telling you, I was saying, God, what are you saying to me? Because I'm looking out, and you have to understand, this Hazor is an impressive place, this tell. It's, it's way up high, it was fortified, and, and these tent-dwelling Israelites could never have taken it. He's sitting there way up north in the, in the hill country, above the Galilee, and he, I'm looking out, right, right out at the hillside where he could have gazed at, and I could sense his panic, which is unearthly and unreasonable. Because there's no way these guys who'd lived in the desert for 40 years could march against the city of Hazor. And yet the king was brought out and goaded on by God to come and come down. So I'm sitting there, and, and none of this is lost on me. Father, I, Joshua is what you gave me. What are you, what are you doing? What are you saying? And I, honestly, I'm still trying to unpack in prayer what all of that was. But while I was sitting right there, the Lord spoke very specifically to me. He said, Andy, it is time to take the land. Now, I believe that, that God is calling us in, into, into taking the land. No, I'm not saying we're going to go buy up all the property. I'm saying, you have to understand, I am not here to put on a nice service for you. My heart bleeds and aches for the kingdom to come, for revival to be poured out, for people to come to know Jesus Christ and hope and, and know that there is a God, that they're not Him and they need His salvation. That's what taking the land looks like when people, God calls them off of their mountains, off of their fortresses, and like, I don't know, I gotta go, I'm so scared. And Jesus is like, I'm here. 
That's taking the land. And this is the palatable time which we live in where God is saying it's time to take the land. You understand there have been prophecy after prophecy. People poured in. Not just to... I mean, our church has been around for 86 plus years. But over Whatcom County, I'm telling you, revival has been, has been called and called. And now's the time. Today is the day of the Lord's favor. This is the season we're in. We're not, it's not time to shrink back. It's time to take the land and press forward. We are going to see people, you're going to see the people that you never thought could know Jesus come to know Jesus. In fact, those are the ones that are going to, and the ones that you think were ready to go, you'll be like, what's the problem? And God's going to be like, it's Hazor. I'm calling them out. Because God's not coming, calling people down to chop them out, but he is calling them to chop them down to size and, call, and humble them and bring them to his kingdom. You can't come to the king unless you come as a child. So you got to get out of your fortress. you got to let go of your junk. And you got to come down your mighty mountain to the hum and humbly come to the king of kings. And he'll say, yes, this is somebody I can do something with. And he'll forgive all your, 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 your sin. It's time to advance the kingdom. Okay, i got to speed up. I am so sorry. I'm getting excited, all right? So again, now I get home and I'm dealing with jet lag here in Whatcom County. 3 a.m., I, I get to wake up and, uh, and enjoy time with the Lord. Um, but of course, the day I get back, what do I read? The very last chapter of Joshua. And I'm going to read it to you today because I believe this is the word that God has for us specifically. And I believe that God is going to show us all something new and exciting here. So here it is. Joshua knows he's about to die. He's led the people. He's... He's done his duty. He can go home and sleep well. But here he is, and he tells the people, okay, so he gives them a Cliff's Notes version. This is all the things that God did with you for you since Egypt. He brought you out. He conquered this. He did Jericho, all these things. And he says, so revere the Lord your God and serve him in sincerity and truth. I'm going to start at verse 15. So then Joshua says this, but if you are unwilling to obey the Lord, then decide today who you will serve. Will it be the gods of your ancestors beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites here in this land? But as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. And the people replied, we would never forsake the Lord and worship other gods. Are you nuts? That's my addition. For the Lord our God is the one who rescued our fathers from their slavery in the land of Egypt. He is the God who did mighty miracles be... <clears throat> before the eyes of Israel as we traveled through the wilderness and preserved us from our enemies when we passed through their land. It was the Lord who drove out the Amorites and the other nations living in their land. Yes, we choose the Lord for he alone is our God. Woo! They're all, free. They're all like, yeah, we're with you, we're with you. And now this great mighty leader named Joshua, I love his response because this is not something any of us would do. He says, in verse 19, but Joshua replied to the people, you can't worship the Lord God, for he is holy and jealous. He will not forgive your rebellion and sins. If you forsake him and worship other gods, he will turn upon you and destroy you, even though he has taken care of you for such a long time. He's like, they're like, yeah, we're in. And he's like, you can't even do it. It's a great motivational speech. We're in. Imagine that the Seahawks today before the game, Carol comes out and he's like, and they're like, we're going to take this. And he's like, you can't do it. You haven't even done your defense well this year. 
This is what Joseph said. You can't do it. He, he says, God is a jealous God. But the people answered, we choose the Lord. You have heard yourselves say it, Joshua said. You have chosen to obey the Lord. Yes, they replied. We are witnesses. All right, he said. Then you must destroy all the idols you now own, and you must obey the Lord God of Israel. The people replied to Joshua, yes, we will worship and obey the Lord. So Joshua made a covenant with them that day at Shechem, committing to them to a permanent and binding contract between themselves and God. This is cool. Joshua recorded the people's reply in the book of the laws of God, and he took a huge stone as a reminder and rolled it beneath an oak tree that was beside the tabernacle. Then Joshua said to all the people, this stone has heard everything you just said. That's a mystery to me. I do know that the rocks will cry out if we don't worship God. I do know that all creation groans. But Joshua rolls a rock and he says, this is a witness of everything you just said. And it will be, if, it will be a witness against you if you go back against your word. Basically, if you start serving other gods, this rock's going to let God know. We'll talk about that a whole other day. All right? That... that. But I want to talk about a word that we, don't we teach our children not to do, not to be, and that's the J word, jealous. Somehow it's okay for God to be jealous, but not me. Okay? I went to the Hebrew. I'm like, I'm going to the Strong's because clearly the word jealous doesn't mean what I think it means. And there's some mystery to unfold here. And so I looked it up. And the definition of this word in the Hebrew is jealous. <laughs> no, that's not. It's jealous. I want you to understand that jealousy is not a sin. Being jealous is not a sin. If God is it, it's not wrong. In fact, you get, you get this uh, in, in a couple other, other places in the Bible, several other actually. When he gives us the Ten Commandments, he says, don't put, put any other gods before you, for I am a jealous God. Paul says about the church, he says, I am jealous for you with a holy jealousy. Amen. You see, jealousy isn't a sin, the object of the jealousy is. So God says, I'm a jealous God. And then he turns around and he gives us a commandment in the Ten Commandments. And he says, do not covet. <laughs> Which is the same thing as jealousy. But I want to show you this. In fact, the commandment isn't thou shalt not covet. That's not the commandment. It's very specific. In Exodus 20, verse 17, it says, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, nor his male servant, nor his female servant, nor his ox, nor his donkey, nor anything else that is your neighbor's. He's not saying don't covet. He says don't cover, covet other people's stuff. The object of the coveting, of the jealousy, is the sin. But did you know jealousy in and of itself is a righteous and holy thing? I've been given a wife by God. If some guy is messing around with her, did you know that there is a godly, righteous, holy jealousy that would come over me? Yeah. And God and I would take some wrath. <laughs> you, that's, that's righteous. That's holy. When my son was born, 
I've never been a baby person. I mean, I like them. They're cute. But I'm like, it's hard for me to hold other people's kids, which is hilarious. But my son comes, and I'm like, oh, I just want to, I just want to, this is my baby. So then my in-laws come over, my, my sister-in-law, they all come, and they're staying with us because we live across the state. And they're all holding my kid. And I found myself, honestly, I'm sitting there like, this isn't, this isn't, this isn't okay. It's my kid. I, when do I get my turn? There's a jealousy that arose because this, this was my gift. Now, I got over it. I watched Star Wars. Life was good. <laughs> it cures a lot of things, folks. So, God is not jealous of you. He's jealous for you. You see, he doesn't, he's not jealous of your nice house or your beautiful new car or your beautiful skills and talents. What he is jealous for is you. Oh. He's jealous for you. He wants to be with you and have you in his arms. And, 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 and when, when we start meandering off into other territory, he, a godly jealousy takes over. And he's like, oh God, this is my kid. This is my bride. We are the bride of Christ. You better believe he's protective of us. In fact, that's what the word jealousy means. Fiercely protective over what is yours. That's jealousy. And so quickly, I want to expose a lie that goes hand in hand with this. We, we understand God is a jealous God. But there is a, a, throughout the centuries, there is a lie that even the people of God buy into over time, whether it's because of disappointment or because their specific prayers aren't being answered. We start to buy into a lie that God is a complacent God. Yeah. That He sits up in heaven like this. Meh. I... I petitioned every day for five years and then it never happened. And God just sat there. Where are you, God? Where? You must just be up here going, meh. I'm here to tell you that's a lie. Our God is fiercely jealous of, of you, excuse me, for you. He's not distant. He's not far off. He's, he's right there in your midst calling oh he wants to be with you so we start to think that god is indifferent because of maybe somehow our 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 prayer specific prayer wasn't answered listen when we were in israel our tour guide who was an amazing guy jewish guy who is actually not a believer in christ but he could quote the scripture more than the rest of you but he said, he said on, on two different occasions a couple of different things. He's like, I, I, can, I can believe all the miracles. It's just that resurrection thing I can't buy. That's his, that's his hang up. And you get a sense. And he said this to, to somebody else. He said, I'm not waiting for any Messiah, whether Jewish or Christian. I'm it's almost as if in a lot of people, specifically in, in, in the Jewish people, there is a weariness in waiting. It's like, oh, we've been waiting for thousands of years. What's the point? God is just, meh. He doesn't really care. We stand here at the wailing wall and we, we beg the same prayers for thousands of years. And, and God must be just going, meh. Because he's not answering these prayers. And we Christians can get into the exact 
same stupidity of mindset. If we see, I prayed the same thing over and over and over, and God hasn't answered, and therefore He doesn't even care. God is a jealous God. He's not indifferent. If your picture of God is meh, you will despair. You will grow weary in waiting. You will grow complacent. You will grow, eh, God, agnosticism is, there's probably a God, but we just don't really, can't really know him. Why? Because he's not talking to me about what I want to talk about. He is a jealous God. So why the seeming complacency about our pet issues? Maybe it's because some of us try to hold God hostage to my topic. And I'm not willing to talk to him about anything except what I want to talk to him about. Our guide told us that the Jewish folks, they have written prayers. They don't make up their own prayers. That's not okay. Christians, he said, you get a personal relationship. We, and so figuratively, you say the same prayer over and over. And please don't get me wrong. Petitioning God is, God, is in, the, in the scripture. I petition him for a lot of things. I do. I have the same things I pray for every day. But you know what? In my, day with, in my time with the Lord, he seldom speaks to me about those things. He's speaking to me about something completely different that I didn't ask about. It's almost as if he's God and wants to frame our lives in a way that he's going to bring us to the right answers. You better talk to me about this thing, this thing. This. I've asked for 50 days now. Where are you? Let me tell you. I, I've done I've done 40 day fast on a couple different occasions, and I know I've mentioned this before. But the first one I did, I had three very specific things. You're going to answer this, you're going to reveal this, and you're going to heal this person. And I prayed and I fasted. I didn't eat. I went on a hunger strike for 40 days. At the end of the 40 days, I'm like, God, what the heck was that all about? I didn't get revelation on this. This person's still sick, and this hasn't happened. That was a I could have had a lot more donuts in this way. <laughs> On another occasion, I'm like, okay, God, I'm going to get, I'm declaring a 40-day fast, and I will just, whatever you want to talk to me about. And every day was like, bow, bow, whoa, God. He was revealing things, and, and my prayer life was on fire. It's because I didn't come with the agenda. No, I still prayed and asked about the specific things, but I let him... Be God in the relationship. And he's, it's, I'm telling you, God would make the worst high school or college professor. (laughs) What do we do? We go to school, we sign up for a specific class. I'm going to take this class, language arts, and I go sit in, and God's my teacher. And I'm like, all right, let's conjugate some verbs. Everybody gets excited about that. And he's like, we're going to start with multiplication today. That's not on my syllabus. That's not what I signed up for. Yet somehow, he is God. (laughs) And he knows that if you don't learn the multiplication, the conjugating of the verbs will make any sense to you. But if all I did is I came into that class every day and I'm like, God! He's like, we're going to multiply. And I go, Conjugate, conjugate verbs, verbs, conjugate, let's conjugate some verbs. And God's like, 10 times 40. And I'm like, I don't want to talk about that. 
How do I conjugate this verb? How many know that I'm trying to be God in their relationship? He is actually a tremendous teacher. And he knows that there's something that he wants to speak to you about that you don't even know you need to know and grow in before he can actually answer this prayer because this prayer would ruin you if he, if he gave it to you before you passed through a couple other steps. He is a good God. But if all I do is blah, 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 I'm going to grow weary. And I'm figuratively just banging my head against an old wall that God isn't asking me to bang my head against. He's inviting you into a vibrant relationship of trust and faith. Faith doesn't get to call the shots. It gets to follow willingly. Now, you get to petition. And tell me, I'm telling you, I petition God for all sorts of things. If you knew the things I asked God, I would be embarrassed. I, I talked to him like, hey God, I would like this kind of a house. I'll show you my picture. That's right. <laughs> nice big living room. I talk to him freely about these things. It'd be really cool. And I could have a hot tub and either on either on like 40 acres or on the beach. Either way is fine with me, God. But you, you know, give, that would be wonderful. Petitioning's okay. But I guarantee you, in 200, 300 years, this house is still gonna look like this. Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and he'll add all these things to you. Listen, everywhere we went in Israel, oh, these are, this is what happened here. There was a gorgeous temple out here. But do you know what God did to that gorgeous temple? It's an idol. Jesus stood there and he's like, he wept. He's like, and he's, he's like, not one of these beautiful stones will remain on the other. And he didn't get all sentimental about the building. He cared about you. He was jealous for you. He's not jealous for the real estate in Israel. He could take it back. If he, he could do whatever he wants there. Boom, a new temple. But what he cares about is the heart of his people. And what are you giving your life for? Do you get up every day and go to work so you can have a bigger house and a bigger car? And all, or do you seek first the kingdom? Having those things is no big deal. But I guarantee you, even your nicest house, if we compare to everybody's home, will be a pile of refuge in, in, in 100, 200, 300 years. King David, Solomon, we saw where they used to live. It's buried in dirt. This gorgeous temple. That's, that's David's house, what they've dug up of it, they think. Yeah, I'll take my parsonage for the church. I got running water there. If you show my picture of the temple, this is, this is a model of what it, what it looked like. Uh, it's beautiful. Absolutely fantastic. Herod, King Herod, made this gorgeous. He fortified it. He made it beautiful. And in 70 AD, God goaded the Romans into destroying the whole thing. Because he didn't care about a building made by man. He was desperate for your heart. He's fiercely jealous for you. But if all I do now is bang my head against the wall and beg for the temple to be rebuilt, I'm missing relationship. And I'm missing the whole point because he's not fiercely jealous for that building. He's fiercely jealous for you. That's what he, that's what he cares about. And if, if smashing your stuff is what needs to happen, it's what he's going to do. 
He gives you a shiny new ball, and you're like, oh, this is great. It's a red ball. And, he's like, and you're like, thanks, God. And now I'm only obsessed about my ball and protecting my ball and everything. Eventually, God's going to be like, hey, hey, because he's fiercely jealous of you, not the ball. The ball was just a gift. It was just an object. So he's, he will come along and go, psh, psh. right? Eyes here, eyes here. You ruined my ball. You don't love me. He's like, I'm fiercely jealous for you. If this ball has taken the place of affection in your heart, I don't, that ball's garbage. It's going to end up in a landfill anyway. But your heart needs to end up in a land of milk and honey. <laughs> That's his heart for you. He's fiercely jealous for you. And he isn't going to preserve land at the expense of his people. He's not going to preserve your real estate at the expense of your heart or of your family. He doesn't want you to, he doesn't want your kids to be, to be left. And that's what we, with this song, Reckless Love, that's what reckless love is. This, this is. this is what remains of Herod the Great's beautiful Mediterranean palace. That's it. You think you can build something better than that? Great, but it's going to be one day. He wants your heart. He wants your kid's heart. He wants your family's heart. He wants Whatcom County's heart. And he's fiercely jealous for it. So if it means knocking down this wooden building, he'll do it. It's a great gift. I love having it. But if it's an idol, let's get rid of it. There's nothing special about this carpet. And it's, it'll all burn. It'll all be buried one day. But what's special is the hearts that come. God, I'm, I need you at this spot. Oh, that makes this sacred. That makes this holy. It's just wood. It's just carpet. It's just a building. He's coming for you. Not that he doesn't care about your beautiful works. It's just, it's just he doesn't care about them as much as he cares about you blinders off so what are you giving your life unto are you giving it to something that's going to be buried and gone one day what are you living your hearts for are are you living for the kingdom and you can enjoy all the things that he adds to you but even god's tent god's temple it's gone it's burnt he didn't care he cares about you he's fiercely jealous for you And I want to invite you today into a jealous relationship. I'm inviting you into jealousy. Not of my beautiful beach home that I'm going to have, or the fact that I got to go to Israel and you didn't. Mm -hmm. That's not what I'm inviting. I'm inviting you into a jealous relationship where you are only, oh God, I need more of you. God, I, I need my kids to know you. Oh, God, I need my, my, my neighbors to know you. And, and if that means i gotta, I got to sell the Jeep or i got to sell uh, this ball, I'm in. I just want everything you have for me. Because I trust, I trust, I trust, I trust. Let your kingdom come, that your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. Proverbs 13, 25 says, The good man eats to live while the evil man lives to eat. Those of you on a diet. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) The heart of the sentence is this. The good man lives unto God and and for God, while the evil man gets up every day and seeks what he can grab. 
God is a good God, but He's a jealous God, and He's, He loves you too much to just leave you swallowing and, and grabbing onto things. He'll pop that ball. And my prayer is that you'll either choose to give up the idol in your heart freely or that God would destroy it for you. Because either way, you win (laughs) if you turn your affections unto Jesus. Next Saturday, we're doing a a conference here today, Building Winning Families. How many people would give up every last dime in their account to see their families loving Jesus? Anyone? This is for everyone to come. Like this is this is all I care about is to see my kids and my my grandkids and my 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 dad, my family, my extended family, and then my church family. If I if that I'm the richest man alive. If if this is happening, if these people are loving Jesus, and so I just invite you, if you haven't yet, sign up and come and join us. No matter what your family situation, you're going to get blessed by that. But uh, we're going to take communion here as a conclusion to today. Our only prerequisite for communion here at Whatcom New Life is if you've accepted Jesus Christ's forgiveness of your life. That's it. That's it. In fact, we talk about this reckless love, this jealousy. God was so jealous for you that He gave His only Son. Jesus was so jealous for you that he, he didn't consider trying to save his own skin, so to speak. This tent, this, this building that he was given. He let us ravish it and destroy it and kill it because it was standing in the way. He says, I'm gonna, I, there, there's sin in this world and without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. So have my blood, let it be spilled so that these these human beings, my sons and my daughters, would know salvation. And so he created the new covenant. And that's where we're going to take communion here together. So if everybody just bow your heads, and I just want you to, uh, to just examine your heart. Because like I said, this is what we're celebrating, and we're honoring what Jesus did for us. And, and uh, if you're here today and you've never given that complete heart over to Jesus, I'm going to invite you to let that happen right now. If you're here today and and you just want to let the blood of Jesus forgive all of your sins, just raise your hand. Amen. And uh, and then if you're here today as well and you're like, God, I I just want to give it all back to you. And I throw my idols down, just raise your hands. Anything that's idolatry in my heart, I give it back to you, Father. It's creeping its way in. So if you'll just pray with me. Father, you can repeat after me. It's okay. I won't trick you. Just say, Father, forgive my sin. I plead the blood of Jesus by which I am saved. Come and be in my heart. Fill my life with your kingdom. I give you my life. Amen. If you prayed that prayer for the first time, we believe you are born again. If you gave your life again, you are completely forgiven. You are the righteousness of God. So we're going to take communion together to celebrate this. And we're going to do it a little bit differently today. Because uh, we brought home a special gift for you from Israel. Uh, It's just a little olive wood 
communion cup, and you get to take this home with you today. Um, and uh, Cisco and Chrissy actually purchased these, so you can thank them. But it's just, a, it's just something fun. It's something special. Um, but we're going to have you come up for, through the middle. You'll stand up, come down, grab your cup, grab a piece of bread, and return to your seat. And then we'll all take this time together. And while we do it, we're going to sing, It is well with my soul. So if you'll stand with me. So come on up and grab the elements.
How could it be well with your soul? If God didn't answer that one prayer, Horatio Spafford wrote this song after he lost his kids to a shipwreck. And at the end of the day, I guarantee you, God, bring them back. God, restore. God, help. And God's like, I love you. I'm jealous for you. I know you're not, you don't understand why this happened, and I'm not even going to explain it to you. But I love you with a godly love and a godly jealousy. So I just implore you, if you've held God hostage to your answer, to your question, and you've cut him out of relationship to any other aspect of your life, just let go. Then it will be well with your soul. And yeah, maybe God will reveal to you that deep mystery or answer that great prayer. We believe God answers prayer. But he's got things to show you and teach you that will blow your mind if you will let him be God in the relationship. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up as an offering for your sake. His body broken, his blood poured out, his life taken so that you could be forgiven and that you could have life abundantly. And that's what we're celebrating today. Jesus there in Jerusalem some 2,000 years ago, he took this bread and he broke it with his disciples and he said, this is my body, this tent of mine. It's broken for you. It's like, take it, eat it, and remember what I do for you. And so Jesus, we remember your body broken for me. And we receive this and we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Let's take the bread together. took this cup, poured the wine, and he said, this wine is my blood, the blood of the new covenant. Praise Jesus for a new covenant. The old covenant had you banging your head against the wall, and the new covenant ushers you into life abundantly. It ushers you into forgiveness of sins. It ushers you into the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I'll drink to that. Jesus, we remember your blood poured out for us in the new covenant. Thank you for it. Just say thank him. Thank you, Father. And we take this together in Jesus' name. And Father, I now pray of release of blessing. As we loosen our grip on the things that we are trying to hold you hostage for. And Father, would you show each person here the path of righteousness for your name's sake that we could walk on with you. Father, we love you and we trust you. Can you say amen to that? Amen. Sometimes it'd be good just to remind yourself that you trust Jesus. I trust Jesus and I pray a blessing on you and I, I know that he has good things for you. He wants to lead you to paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Amen? Amen? And so go enjoy that. Enjoy that life abundantly he has for you and rest in his favor. Amen? Amen.
you want prayer for any reason, we'll, we'll keep this place open. But God bless you. Enjoy this beautiful Christmas season. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed this week's sermon. If you would like to partner with our ministry, please visit us at welcomenewlifeassembly.org.